0: Matthew six, sixteen to 18, and when you fast, do not, look, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their feet, the fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh,
1: Naturally, Jesus addressing fasting, I want to begin with a simple question, uh, do you fast? Uh, In my life, um, turning 45 this year, can't believe it, uh, in the past maybe two, three years, uh, it's the most I've heard fasting uh, in non-religious context. And fasting has become quite a trendy thing. Uh, And there are celebrities who are touting the benefits of fasting, things like intermittent fasting, Uh, And so fasting is is very much, at least in Western culture, uh, at least in Toronto amongst my friends and so forth, uh, in the news and and so forth, uh, something that you hear about a lot more. Uh, And so let me ask, uh, do you fast? Uh, Be it for health reasons, and and sort of in the trendy way, and by using the word trendy I don't mean that as a negative thing, but uh, perhaps just for health reasons? um, Or perhaps you fast for religious reasons? And certainly, overall in history, fasting has been associated with religions, not only the Christian religion, but other religions as well. From the religious standpoint, I appreciate what John Wesley observes, Uh, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all Scripture and reason, meaning taking it to a place, uh, a high place that it shouldn't go, that it spurns on sort of this legalistic and and just... uh, a pious, uh, empty religious disciplines and oftentimes very just guilt-driving and guilt-inducing discipline, while others, he continues to observe, have utterly disregarded it. And that's the wrong uh, stance as well. That's the wrong extreme as well. And I think Jesus here today, he's pointing us to somewhere in the middle, uh, but certainly wanting to redeem this exercise of fasting. Uh, My best attempt at trying to summarize uh, his short but very pointed teaching, just three verses, uh, my best attempt to summarize, I think, what Christ wants his followers to take is this prayer. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I I tried to give the summary of the sermon and where we're headed as a prayer because that's where the rubber of faith meets the road of life, when we learn to first, by faith, call out to God. And so I hope that in your own walk with Christ, your own relationship with God, that you can learn the gist of these words and get the heart of this prayer. And it's this prayer, Lord, teach my heart to feast on Christ. Teach my heart. We're not talking about a cannibalistic exercise here. We're talking about something for your soul, your mind, your affections, your thinking, your emotions. Teach my heart to feast on Christ and fast on from the world, Even while we feast on Christ spiritually, that we would also learn to uh, delve into a physical fasting, a physical abstaining from the things of the world. So for the rest of the message, I'm going to do my best attempt to answer this question. Uh, what does Jesus teach about fasting then? In these three short but pointed verses, what does he teach about fasting? And I think he wants to show us three things. I'm going to draw out three things that I believe that are there. First, Jesus wants his listeners to acknowledge a fasting base. That in all of his followers' lives, there's meant to be a base, a foundation, just a default practice and presence of fasting. And then Jesus points out to us a fasting that's based on works. And if you don't get that, right off the bat just from the heading don't worry I'm gonna explain that uh, but this is the bad fasting <clears throat> excuse me uh, and then finally I think Jesus is pointing to us appointing uh, us to a wonderful fasting a fasting that he wants his followers to enjoy and experience which is a fasting based on his grace so first a fasting base just a foundation a rhythm a routine something that is there as a baseline For all his followers, a practice and presence of fasting as a default for all his believers. I think he is teaching this, he's exhorting it, he's commanding it. And where do we see it? We see it in the simple words, Jesus on his teaching on fasting, and when he says, and when you fast, and just by that mere word when, he's assuming that all his listeners, all his followers especially, will fast at some point as they uh, follow Christ in their life, as they live a life of faith. And he's addressing, sometimes we got to pay attention to the grammar because there's significance there. Jesus has now switched back to uh, addressing the whole crowd. He, he's addressing you in the second person, plural. Um, you, when, when all his followers, he's assuming that all his followers will fast at some point. Now, I think it's helpful just to try to get a sense of even what Jesus's picture of fasting might have been. And certainly, he had uh, the Old Testament scriptures as a reference. And so, I want to just give you a quick lightning speed survey of a few pictures of fasting, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And so, first, let's jump back to Leviticus chapter 23. And this is where God Himself, God Almighty Himself, uh, through His servant Moses, gives instructions on fasting. And it's in the context of the Day of Atonement, which was probably the most important day for the people of Israel, a day where they would seek God forgiving their sins. And so God commands in chapter 23 of Leviticus, picking up at verse 27, Now, on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall fast. And fast just literally means just simply means abstaining from food, okay? Nothing complicated about it. You shall fast and, uh, ironically, maybe, you know, a uh, bit tongue-in-cheek, but adding a little bit of insult to injury, but God has a, a sincere point in this. As they're abstaining from food, that they're bringing all this food as an atoning sacrifice, as a food offering before the Lord. Tongue-in-cheek, it, it was just a, a holy grill. It was a holy giant barbecue. And just imagine uh, the, the lambs and whatever animal sacrifices with food that they would bring that they worked hard to raise up. And as it's sizzling and the aromas of the fat burning and all the wonderful aromas, it accentuated their fast that much more. It, it, it amplified whatever hunger pangs they were feeling. And God's point was to teach them that For the atonement of sins there's pain involved and something has to be given up something has to be given up in order to pay for sins but here we see fasting associated with atonement we jump to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and God is explaining why he intentionally led his people into a type of fast as they were wandering through the wilderness After being freed from Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before entering the promised land. And God intentionally, he he reveals, he admits, I intentionally led you into the wilderness. And we'll just read, uh, God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. So there it is, a type of fast that God intentionally led his people into in the wilderness. And the whole point of it was to draw out stuff from their heart. If you've ever gone hungry, or if you've intentionally fasted, there comes a point, there's a reason why, there are memes, and and just uh, in the 21st century, there's a word in the urban dictionary, hangry, right? You can become hangry, you become angry when you become uh, hungry, and you can become more irritable, and and just certain things come out from your heart when you're hungry. And certainly, even when we are intentionally fasting, the point of it is that God is trying to cause to rise to the surface certain issues of the heart. But God isn't just trying to poke us and see, you know, to catch us, and say, aha, see, I knew it. You are an angry person inside. You're irritable when you get hungry. No, there's a positive side to this. And God's intention, as we read on, I let you hunger and I fed you with manna. I won't get into that, but basically God supernaturally provided some food. Uh, that That God might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That the most important hunger to fill is not your physical hunger. The most important senses to awake and satisfy are not your physical senses. But God wanted to teach on the positive as they were hungering and being led into this fast, so to speak, that man lives by every word, every promise, every character of God, every attribute of God, every excellency of God, every hope that we find in God and His plans for us, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jumping to uh, Daniel. Uh, he was a, a, a servant of God in Uh, the exile of God's people in Babylon, and almost like a journal entry, uh, he enters into a a fast, and here the context is that he is mourning uh, for his people and their plight, uh, and he fasted exactly for 21 days, and it wasn't an absolute abstaining from food. It was sort of a, a, a version of a fast. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, alcohol entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Anoint, basically, just think of it as in 2020 as maybe cologne, right? Just uh, just uh, making himself look sharp and making himself presentable, uh, but instead he intentionally presented himself uh, somberly to match what was going on in his heart. But here, I want you to see that, that there's a fast that isn't an absolute, complete abstaining of food, but a version of a fast where he's just fasting from certain things. Now we jump to the New Testament and we meet a woman by the name of Anna. And she was known as a prophetess. And sadly, she was widowed only seven years into her marriage. But after that, as a widow, she dedicated herself to worshiping and praying and fasting in the temple. And so I want you to notice here the way that she is fasting is now pointing more towards. It's headed in the right direction of the kind of fast that Jesus is going to ultimately uh, teach us about. And we see that she was worshiping with fasting. What is worship? Worship is feasting on something you adore. Worship is praising something or someone that you adore. Now here we see Anna, she was feasting on God. She was praising God. She was hoping in God. She was focusing on how good He is and all His promises in Scripture. And I'm sure she was uh, hearing the Word and the Scriptures being read. And so here we see an example of feasting on God and fasting. Fasting physically. And then our Lord Himself, jumping to Luke chapter 4, He was feasting on the Holy Spirit. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. He was completely drenched, saturated with the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself led Jesus into the wilderness to fast. We know that supernaturally he fasted for 40 days. He ate nothing, Luke records. And naturally he was hungry. Now, here's the point that I want you to catch in looking to the Lord's example. If our Lord himself required fasting to be effective for the purposes of God, then how much more do we as his followers also need to consider the goodness of fasting and make it a part of our lives so that we can be effective for God's purposes, to be effective Christians and witnesses and servants and workers for Christ in this world. Now we fast forward to an example of his followers, The Holy Spirit's been poured out, the church is being built, and Paul and other church leaders in Antioch, we see here, like Anna, but now specifically, they were worshiping the Lord, meaning Christ. They were worshiping Christ, they were feasting on Christ and fasting. So, in their bodies, they were abstaining, feeling a hunger, but in their souls, they were filling up on Christ, praising Him for what He had done on the cross and the hope of the resurrection. And in that moment, in that exercise of fasting, we see that the Holy Spirit is delighted to guide them. And so in this state of seeking God, worshiping, and fasting, we see a pivotal, pivotal guidance. And we know this was instrumental in, for the gospel to proliferate and to continue to spread in a very strategic manner. So that's a quick lightning-speed survey of pictures of fasting that we see in Scripture but also, praise God, I thank God for science and medicine. And, and as we have discovered as a society, as, as a culture, as a civilization, the benefits, just even the health benefits of uh, fasting, I want to point out uh, just types of fasting, what fasting looks like even for uh, non-Christians. You don't necessarily have to be Christian to fast, but these days, uh, this thing called intermittent fasting, and let me make a disclaimer. I, I, these things that I'm about to share with you By no means am I an expert. Uh, I have not practiced uh, these things as as a routine. But on that note, um, very much convicted in my preparation for this sermon. I I have fasted in the past, but but convicted all the more strongly that fasting is meant to be a a routine of Christ's followers. But that said, even if you're not Christian, um, we see people embracing something called intermittent fasting, uh, which is basically choosing a certain window of time within which you'll eat. And a popular one that I've been told is, they call it 16-8. So eight hours, you eat as you will. You eat as you please. And, then, and so you're very strictly, for example, between 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then you are strict to not eat outside of that. Um, there could be a literal just 24-hour power fast, one-day fast. And, for example, you could begin after lunch at 1 p.m., And then you break that fast the next day with lunch at 1 p.m. And then you can graduate to multi-day fast. And a popular uh, technique that I've been told uh, is common is the 5-2. So for five days, you eat as you please. And then two days, you're fasting. Uh, And then even some non-Christians have picked up on Daniel's example. And they've codified this thing and they call it the Daniel fast. And, And certain Christians... I call it the Daniel Fast and where they just abstain from certain specific uh, things, food, alcohol, etc., etc. And uh, just modern science and, and, and medicine have proven benefits of fasting. Again, I'm no expert, and I'm not saying this as a doctor or, or some dietitian or whatnot, but just based on the research and the findings that uh, there are benefits to fasting, that it can improve your brain function, that you have clear thinking. Uh, it can improve your blood and your heart. It can help prevent heart disease. It apparently improves insulin levels. Uh, I don't know what, I, what I'm about to say next. I don't know what this means, but related to the liver, it has benefits uh, related to ketones. Okay? I don't know what that means, but just trusting the research and that it's a good thing. And, and we could go on and on about the benefits of fasting. Now, let me pause there and just first say, I'm not surprised. And because where fasting originally starts is, is really from God instructing his people. And certainly God, in being a good father, he, he never gives instructions in even all the food laws for his people. If you research it and dig into it, there's always a health reason for why he allows certain foods, prevents certain foods. And fasting is no different. So I'm not surprised that there are even health benefits to fasting. But certainly, God desires to give it even more benefit and more meaning as we understand how it's meant to play a role in our lives physically. Now, endearingly speaking, uh, we have some fasting consultants at TGC. They're not real certified consultants, but I'm just calling them that. And just three friends that, uh, just in my conversations with them, uh, they've, uh, at least for sure, the health aspect of fasting. They've uh, experimented with it and have experience with it. And so if you want to learn about practical ways to fast and just the logistics of it and different types, um, take a snapshot of the names up here, and they've given me permission to put their names and email contact. Uh, And you can reach out to uh, these people to ask what their experience of fasting is, uh, for sure on the health level. And I know one of them, at least, uh, trying to fast uh, with a spiritual bent to it as well. Now, the, the point is this. This... We're dwelling on the first point, that Christ wants us to have a base of fasting. There's meant to be a default base for every Christ follower for the practice and presence of fasting in our lives. And so I'm just trying to give you a picture of what it looked like in in Scripture, what it looks like in Scripture, and to also give you some concrete ways that you could practice it. That said, let's now begin to really focus in on the spiritual aspects of it. And so consider this thought. Fasting as a Christian discipline is a physical activity with a spiritual meaning. It's meant to be a physical activity with a spiritual meaning. And on that note, if you already are fasting just from a health standpoint and you're a Christ follower, take that next step. It's it's not a hard next step to want to tool that and just to use it to draw you closer to God as well. I mean, might as well, right? You're already fasting. <laughs> might as well use it to, to deepen your relationship with Christ. And so, Christian discipline is a physical activity with a spiritual meaning. The deliberate rejection of physical food is meant to amplify a deliberate consumption of spiritual food. Physical fasting is meant to inversely reflect a spiritual feasting on Christ. So, meaning that the more pains you feel physically, the more hunger pangs you feel physically, it's meant to feed into an inverse proportionate uh, desire for to depend on God, to hope on uh, in God, to long to experience more of Christ and His presence, His guidance, His pleasure in your life. Now, then, we're at a fork in the road, and we can go about this more religious fasting. One of two ways. And Jesus first warns us about fasting based on works. Okay? Where do we see this? Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. We know the hypocrites here are the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And Jesus is um, calling them literally actors. The way I'll just summarize it succinctly, these folks... They were, on, they were playing a religious political game. And they were doing things outwardly, religiously, to gain just more, to, to go higher up the religious political ladder, to go higher up on the hierarchy. And so here, as they are fasting, their motive, Jesus' diagnoses is that they may be seen, just like last week's passage. Jesus is diagnosing the same thing, the same motive, and really, it just literally means that they want to shine. They, they want to be bright and be like a star in front of these people, uh, in front of the people of God. Look at these leaders. Look at them. They are so uh, sad, and I feel sorry for them, and they're trying to uh, do good and seek God and be an example for us. And, oh, I wonder what they're praying for, and I wonder how I can support them. And, and these hypocrites, these religious leaders, were just basically trying to win the support and garner the attention and praise and adoration of the people. And it was really just to feed their own egos and to go higher up their religious political staircase. And so Jesus, he concludes, rightly, truly, I say to you, okay, let them do that. Because they'll get the reward that they're looking for. They'll get exactly what they want. Just more upmanship on the religious political uh, ladder. They'll get the praise of the people. They'll feed their egos. They'll get what they want. And the word that Jesus uses there for reward just literally means paid wages. They're, they're trying to earn more power, more praise, and they're going to get it. Now, let's pause here. I know Jesus is very simple in his teaching, and it's just that one sentence, but even in that one conclusion, is just, it's just dripping. Below the surface, there's grand theology, Beautiful theology. And so I want you to picture uh, two staircases, okay? And really, actually, at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're the same staircase. But um, the first on the left, let, us rep, let it represent what we know as the covenant of works. This is God's first agreement with man. That if Adam and Eve would just obey and perform and they just continue to perform and climb up this ladder through obedience, every step represents obedience, then all would go well. They would have perfect health, perfect happiness, perfect prosperity, eternal life. All would go well, okay? Now, whether we call it that or not, in our everyday life, up to the very present, since the fall, that has still been on our hearts. That's the default mode of our hearts. And so we are all, whether you like to admit it this way or not, we are trying to strive with our own performance to get up to God. Even if you don't believe in God, you're trying to get as high as you can so that you could stand on top of life and experience life as uh, just prosperously and, and happily as possible. But we are striving, be it our trying to earn more money, to have more recognition, certain titles, and, and uh, whatever it may be. But even religiously, some of us sadly fall back into the lie that. If we do things like fasting, then we can climb closer to God and attain our salvation. Now, what Jesus Christ has done then, he's gotten rid of that covenant of works. And first, he came down that staircase. He literally left the beauty of heaven, the delicacies of heaven, the divine uh, fellowship at the table with the Father and the Spirit and what we call his humiliation, meaning he humbled himself and he came down. And what Jesus did after finding himself in uh, similar weakness as us on this earth, he lived and performed a sinless, perfect life, fulfilling every one of God's expectations and laws. And so, in a sense, uh, in God's eyes, literally, he climbed back up that staircase. And he's the one person in history who could make it back to God with sinlessness and as he went back to god he was delighted he intentionally was willing to say i will take the place of every sinner through history and god thank you for receiving my sacrifice put it differently jesus he fasted in a sense in a metaphor, metaphorical sense he left all the delicacies of heaven found himself here and 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 Fasting, in a sense, while he was on this earth. I mean, he literally fasted for 40 days, and we presume that he would continue uh, some rhythm of fasting because he taught his disciples that certain uh, acts and perform or just miracles in the kingdom, like casting out demons, would require fasting. And, and we know that Jesus could uh, cast out demons. Uh, and but the point is that Jesus is the one person who was able to go back up that staircase and be perfect before God. And now what he invites us to is for you and I in our imperfect obedience by grace through faith in union with Christ. Let, let me put that in in easy terms to understand uh, in easy terms to understand. Basically just piggyback on Christ, jump onto his back, and our imperfect obedience, even though it can't get back to God by itself as we're in union with Christ and His righteousness is on us, every act of obedience by faith, because of Christ carrying us up that staircase, becomes an act of righteousness that that feeds into our faith and draws us closer to God. The point is this. The hypocrites, the religious leaders, they thought they were on the left side. They thought their fasting could earn their salvation. They thought their fasting could actually draw them closer to God. But it couldn't. Another point, and same point from last week, because Jesus is making the same point. Another thing we need to ask is, as we are approaching God, whose heart are we really trying to change? we think of this analogy of the mountain climber approaching the grand mountain and they have to traverse this mountain. They have to climb up this mountain. Who adjusts to whom? Does the mountain climber say to the mountain, get out of my way? No. The climber has to adjust to the mountain. And the point being, when we come to God, even in our own fasting, the point isn't to try to cosmically put God in a a cosmic MMA submission hold and that God will do whatever we want because we're fasting. Just to prove the point from Scripture, this is a sad example. David, uh, his illegitimate child, born of adultery and murder, uh, was born but was sick and dying. And he fasted. He went in and lay all night. This is in 2 Samuel 12. This is history. And he fasted, and we know that he was begging God from another verse a bit later on as David explains himself. He was begging God for the child's life. But on the seventh day, the child died. And so here, even in David's life, King David's life, the greatest king of Israel's life, fasting, the purpose of it isn't to stronghold God and to change God's mind. No, what God was doing was working on David's heart and bringing him to a place of humbledness. repentance. And that's why we saw in Deuteronomy 8 that God, his purpose for fasting is to see what's in our hearts. I love what Richard Foster says, more than any other discipline, this is a great book, I commend it to you, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Meaning, As you fast and there's pride and that's the motivation or that's in your heart, you'll start feeling good about yourself that you're fasting. Oh, look at me. And you might have this attitude. You might like the Pharisees wanting people to kind of notice that you're fasting. And and so self-righteousness is revealed. If there's anger, then hangriness quickly comes up. And, And so this is true. Even in my own experience of fasting, very quickly certain things in my heart are revealed. So what's the alternative then? The alternative is to fast based on grace, okay? And so Jesus, he gives the right alternative to his followers. And again, assuming that his followers will fast in some shape and form as they live this life of faith. But when, again, you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. To put it in other words, don't look somber, Be glad, because in point of fact, we aren't miserable when we fast. We're happy because we are feasting on Christ. Jesus' whole point is, let what you are doing, that exercise, actually reflect what you're actually doing in your heart. Yes, physically you're fasting, but for the Christ follower, because it's a worship and fasting, there's a gladness. You're seeking God and you're feasting on Christ. And so all the more you're reminded, and even when those scientific med, uh, medical benefits kick in, you have clear thinking, and you can clear, think more clearly on Christ and his word and his promises and meditate on it and study it. As that is going on, then we should reflect what we're actually experiencing on the inside. And Jesus goes on to explain that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret because we're fasting by faith. We're on the right side of that staircase. We're not fasting, striving, wondering, will God you know, answer my prayers? I have to try to perform and please God. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to perhaps even mistakenly think that I can you know, wrestle God and, and stronghold Him. And so now it becomes an angry relationship with God. But no, when we fast by faith, that's what Jesus means by doing it in secret, in the hiddenness of your heart. And we'll know our Father's delight and His smile, who is also in the secret. We know the Father. We see Him by faith, in the hiddenness of faith. And then we'll experience His reward. Now, the reward here again that Jesus speaks of to His followers, it's a completely different word. It's not paid wages, but it just literally means your debts will be paid. And So even here, Jesus is saying your ultimate reward for seeking God and fasting in the manner that he calls us to, meaning feasting on Christ, the whole point is as we give something up, all the more intentionally we're sp- and to look to Christ to fill that emptiness. Then we see more clearly that our greatest reward is to just be found in Christ, to have our debts paid. So let's pause here. How is the Holy Spirit seeking to grow and mature my heart? That's the question that we need to ask as maturing Christ followers. Not, how am I trying to change God? What do I want God to do for me? But God, what is it that you are trying to do in my own heart? Here's, let me just read this quote. Here's one way to describe the Christ follower's sojourn. As we learn more of God's word, we will learn more of his wisdom. As we learn more of his wisdom, we discern more of his ways. Meaning you'll be able to make more and more choices and decisions that are in line with how God thinks and his values. As we discern more of his ways, we'll find ourselves increasingly in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let me flush this out. Um, Richard Foster, he came across a journal entry of Elizabeth O'Connor in her book, Search for Silence. And she journaled for two years. She uh, entered a two-year fasting journey. And these are some quotes from the first six months of her fasting journey. And she first writes, I felt it a great accomplishment to go a whole day without food. Congratulated myself on the fact that I found it so easy. And so pride is bubbling up. And she's just transparently writing that uh, down in her journal. But then a bit later, began to see that the above was hardly the goal of fasting, (laughs) was helped in this by beginning to feel hunger. And she's now beginning to be humbled. And then a bit later, began to relate the food fast to other areas of my life where I was more compulsive. I did not have to have a seat on the bus to be contented or to be cool in the summer and warm when it was cold. And so she's saying that more and more matters and issues of her heart were being revealed. And she was delighted to bring them before God and to be matured in these areas. Then she writes later, reflected more on Christ's suffering and the suffering of those who are hungry and have hungry babies. And then, six months into it, six months after beginning the fast discipline, I began to see why a two-year period has been suggested. The experience changes along the way. Hunger on fast days became acute, and the temptation to eat stronger. For the first time, I was using the day to find God's will for my life began to think about what it meant to surrender one's life. And then the final entry uh, that Foster uh, cites, I I now know that prayer and fasting must be intricately bound together. There is no other way, and yet that way is not yet combined in me. Now, the way that I want to exhort you and, and the last thought I want to leave you with, the way we will gladly Experience that increased combining of prayer and fasting is if we feast on Christ. That, that's the way it's meant to happen, that we are feasting on Christ. Otherwise, it becomes a very difficult and just uh, ascetic exercise that does not necessarily drive us closer to God. We have to remember that Jesus, he partook in the ultimate fast, giving up what is even more difficult than food to give up, giving up the delicacies of heaven at the table of divine fellowship with his Father and the Spirit to find himself in our spiritually starved world. And he punctuated his ultimate giving up of those delicacies when he became the ultimate food offering to accomplish one final day of atonement for the sins of humanity as he cast himself onto the altar of God. Practically speaking then, Richard Foster, he he observes, just in our modern day, that there's constant propaganda that's fed to us that convinces us that if we do not have three large meals each day with several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. And that's just our affluent uh, Western culture and so if we could step back from that and really take seriously Jesus' invitation and in fact command his assumption that his followers will have fasting as there will be some baseline of it in their life. Just want to remind you again, just the types of fasting. And, and so let's take uh, just a note from ways that even our just modern science and medicine have, have approached fasting and combine this. You know, this is a good starting place to take these uh, examples, uh, and, and we have Lent coming up, right? For some of us, we observe Lent, and Lent is a good time, again, with the right heart, not in a way that you're trying to climb up that covenant of works staircase, but by grace, and to dedicate it as a time to all the more feast on Christ. And Lent can be, you know, often people, if you're not ready for a full-on, absolute abstaining of food, then like a Daniel fast, uh, whether it be a certain you know, one type of food or alcohol, or perhaps even these days, because our lusts are, are so scintillated by so many things, it could be something that's non-food. Maybe you just need to take a break from social media, and that's a real thing, and that fast will actually do you good and make you more of a healthy human being. Um, and so you, you can discern for yourself, but as with all disciplines, there should be a progression, and we need to Be wise to learn to walk well before we try to run. And so, again, I uh, commend our in-house fasting consultants to you, and you can reach out to them. Uh, But the point is this. Lord, teach my heart to feast on Christ and fast from the world. Start with the meditative, frequent thought. Just begin to feast on Christ, to think on him. Take baby steps in fasting and work your way upward. Seek professional and medical advice on how to fast and how to break a fast because depending on where you're at, just your own body and health, you might need special instructions and maybe certain types of fast uh, are detrimental to you. So just seek that professional advice. But above all and preeminently, feast on Christ.